Hey there, and welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. You can learn more at our website, TimberlakeUMC.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, welcome to week two of our series. It's called Thrill Ride. We're talking this summer about the emotional roller coaster of life. And last week we began with the theology of emotions. Uh, The Bible gives us three big ideas about our emotions, and they are God creates, sin corrupts, and grace redeems. And so just briefly, in case you missed or in case you forgot, I know seven days is a long time to remember these things, um, God creates our emotions. God is an emotional God, and we are made in God's image. And so the feelings that we have are given to us uh, as an agency, as a part of our makeup as human beings. And that's good and right. And yet, because of our sin, we have corrupted our feelings. And so we find ourselves in one trap or another, in the trap of carelessness, of neglecting our emotions, of thinking of them as something bad or negative. Um, and on the other hand, some of us have fallen captive to our emotions. So we're, we're held in bondage by how we feel. And everything in our life then is colored and shaped by uh, our emotional state in the moment. The good news is, friends, grace redeems our emotions. God takes even the negative experiences and transforms them into something good for his purposes. And so God uses our feelings to motivate us to serve others. God uses our feelings to remind us of his love and of the love of the people God has put in our life. Now, if you missed this sermon, let me encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can listen to it on the podcast app on your smartphone or on the website, and I hope that you will so you can keep up with us as we go through the series. Uh, Today, I want to talk with you, friends, about emotional intelligence. How many of you have ever heard the phrase emotional intelligence before? Most. Okay, good. Most of us. What is emotional intelligence? Uh, Emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize your emotions and the emotions of other people. It is the ability to manage your emotions in a mature way so that you're not always flying off the handle or going crazy one way or another, that you can manage yourself. It's also the ability to make emotional connections with other people. So very simply put, emotional intelligence is self-awareness, self-management, plus social awareness and relational management. Does this make sense? This really gets at the heart of of what it means to be human. People with emotional intelligence are self-aware. They have empathy. They are assertive. They are resilient. Uh, They are able to have difficult conversations with other people They are able to work through stress without being easily overwhelmed. They are good at resolving conflicts without taking everything personally. They are good at making other people feel loved and included. Emotional intelligence has sometimes been referred to as EQ. Now, that's a play off of IQ. Everybody knows what IQ is, right? Intelligence quotient. IQ is the capacity for intellectual understanding. It's, it's kind of how we measure brain smarts. But here's something fascinating I learned this week. People with average IQ outperform people with high IQs 70% of the time. Okay, get your head around that for a second. People who are average smarts outperform people with good, well, high level of intelligence 70% of the time. And we can attribute some of that to this. Right, Because understanding people and how the world works isn't just a matter of the head, it's also a matter of the heart. 
And you can have all the math and all the memory and all the analytical thinking, but if you don't understand how to relate to people, you will not be as successful. You understand this? You with me? Emotional intelligence, friends, emotional intelligence is what we're talking about today. Now, Jesus was the master of emotional intelligence. Jesus was highly self-aware. He understood his identity. He understood the identity of the people around him. He lived without apology. He lived without shame or embarrassment for who he was. Jesus was assertive. He was totally committed to the mission. All kinds of people tried to distract him from the mission, and he never took the bait. So, for example, the Pharisees were always trying to pick fights with Jesus. You ever had someone try to pick a fight with you? You ever find yourself falling into the trap? Well, Jesus never fell into the trap because he saw it coming, and he understood the hearts and what the people were really saying behind their words. Jesus had empathy. He cared about people. Over and over again, he poured his heart out in the Father's love for the people in his life. Now, that's what high EQ sounds like. What does low EQ sound like? Low emotional intelligence. Uh, See if this sounds familiar. Being easily stressed, not asserting yourself, making assumptions, defending your position even when the evidence proves the contrary. (laughs) You ever seen anybody do that on Facebook? Only my Facebook friends do that. Uh, not realizing what sets you off. Do you know anyone like this in your, in your uh, circle of friends? You can push their button so easily, and they don't even seem to realize that you're pushing their button, right? That's low emotional intelligence. Blaming others, being easily offended, on and on and on. How did we get like that, friends? How did we uh, come to such low levels of emotional intelligence? Why is it so hard to come by in our world today? I think there's three reasons, at least. Uh, for starters... A lot of us were talked out of our real feelings when we were children. Okay, see if this sounds familiar. You come home from school, uh, you know, you're really annoyed by your teacher, and you say to your parents, I hate my teacher. And what do they say to you? Oh, no, no, you don't hate your teacher. You're just having a bad day. Well, what if you really do hate your teacher? Right? And they're trying to talk you out of your real, actual feelings. Um, you say, I'm so mad, I, run, I want to run away from home. And someone says to you, no, you're not that mad. You know, just, just have a popsicle. You know, and they try to <laughs> placate you with sugar. Uh, you say, oh, you know, I'm so sad about my friend moving away. I don't even want to live without my friend. And someone says to you, well, you know, you're overreacting. Right? Well, maybe not. Maybe our, our feelings as children are authentic and real, and what would happen if we encourage children to let their, their feelings be valid, even if they're not true, that they could be valid and, and acceptable? So I think that's one reason. We got talked out of our feelings a lot when we were kids. I think a second reason for our uh, lack of emotional intelligence is our emotional immaturity. Some of us are still kind of growing up emotionally, Uh, Some of us grew up in households where we didn't have a parent to show us the way. Or maybe we did have a parent, but that parent didn't set boundaries and give us discipline. We kind of just ran wild and did whatever we wanted to do. Uh, Some of us have not come to the Lord, a relationship with God, until later in life. And so we miss an opportunity during those formative years to really grow spiritually and emotionally. Similar to this, friends, a reason for the lack of emotional intelligence is addiction to substances. 
drugs and alcohol. I don't know if you've ever experienced addiction or you've walked with someone who's been addicted, but there's an interesting phenomenon that happens uh, when we are addicted and actively using, we stop growing emotionally. Now, I know this is true because I used to be a drug abuse counselor for teenagers, and you could be pretty sure that the young person's emotional age is whatever age they were when they started drinking or using. So you could be standing there talking to an 18-year-old boy, but because he's been drinking for four years, emotionally, he's the age of a 14-year-old. You see this? Because the the addiction stunts our growth. The addiction traps us in a younger self. The same thing is true with abuse. Friends, when you and I have suffered abuse, some of you have been through physical abuse or emotional abuse, that stunts your emotional growth. You learn not to trust your feelings. You learn to be afraid of threats from the outside, right? You're always walking on eggshells. You're always walking on pins and needles around someone else so as not to upset them. Friends, that compromises your emotional growth. And so, one, we get talked out of these things as kids. Two, we have not grown up emotionally just yet. Third, our lack of emotional intelligence, I think, comes from our lack of language, We don't always have the words to describe how we feel. And I'm arguing today that unless you can describe how you feel, you don't know how you feel. We have to be able to give words to our experience in order to understand it. Now, there is a remedy for this last part, the idea of language. There's this wonderful tool that you can find on the internet. Just Google emotions wheel. So put it up there. Anybody ever seen this before? The emotions wheel? Raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, good. That's new to a lot of you. All right, so this is just a tool that you can use. I want you to notice on the left side, it's kind of negative emotions. On the right side, it's kind of positive emotions. So in the center on the left, we have sad, we have scared, we have anger, we have embarrassed. On the right side, we have happy, love, confident, playful. But see, you don't have to just settle with sad, right? Because under sad, you maybe you're lonely or hurt or disappointed. Do you see how this gives you a lexicon? It gives you a vocabulary to use to talk about how you feel. I want to challenge you to grow up, to become more sophisticated in your language and talking about how you feel because that will help you grow in your emotional intelligence. Now, there's another wonderful tool that the Lord has given us for this, and it is the Scripture. In the Psalms, friends, the psalmists describe human emotion in wonderfully colorful, poetic ways that help us understand what it means to be human, that help us identify and examine and express our feelings. So let's look together at the psalm that Christine read for us. Thank you, Christine. And we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Okay, who's the psalmist talking to? It's not a trick question. It's talking to the Lord. Okay, does this sound to you like a prayer, right? This is, this is a prayer. The psalmist is getting on his or her knees and praying to God and saying, God, I, my heart longs for you like, like, a, like a thirsty deer needs a drink of water. I'm thirsty for you, O God. Now, notice there's a bit of a shift. Look at verse 2. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? You know, I want to, I'm so anxious to go and meet with the Lord. When can I go? When's my next opportunity? Now, who's the psalmist talking to in verse 2? Say it louder. Himself. He's talking to himself. How many of you talk to yourselves? 
Good, yes, everyone's hand should be raised because everyone talks to themselves. You might do it out loud or you might do it silently. Um, we all give ourselves messages, don't we? We all interpret all the things that we're experiencing in life and we say things to ourselves about what is happening around us. So this morning when you walked outside, maybe you thought to yourself, man, it sure is rainy today, right? Or maybe last week you thought, you said to yourself, you know, I haven't talked to my friend in a while. I need to give her a call, check on her, see how she's doing. Uh, we say, oh, why was the cashier looking at me so weird at the grocery? Maybe I had mustard on my face, right? Uh, we say, you know, I've got this job interview later this week. I'm going to crush it. And you give yourself a message, don't you? We all give ourselves messages, friends. It's called self-talk. It's called self-dialogue. Call it whatever you want. What I'm suggesting to you, it's good and right. And it's even biblical that here in the Psalms, the psalmist is talking to himself, learning to discipline himself, by speaking to himself. Now, I don't want to make this too complicated, but I want you to get it. We often listen to ourselves, but how often do we talk to ourselves? Because listening is sort of letting the heart lead, doing whatever I feel like doing, but talking is you directing your heart instead of the other way around. There's a great sermon about this by a preacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and um, he takes up this psalm, Psalm 42, and he says it better than I could say it. So I'm going to just read to you what he says. He says this. The first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn to take ourselves in hand. We must learn to talk to ourselves and not merely listen to ourselves. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Does this make sense? Maybe? Okay, I'm going to keep going. You're going to get it. He says, am I trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that so much of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You see, friends, we have experiences and we feel a certain thing, and those feelings give us messages. I feel bad. Life must be over, right? Well, that's listening to yourself. Talking to yourself sounds like this. Self, sit up, pay attention. Yes, you feel bad, but life is not over because God is still God. And this is how we finish. Then you must go on to remind yourself of who God is and what God has done. And then having done that, you end this self-conversation on this great note. Defy yourself. Defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world, and say with the psalmist, I shall yet praise him, for he is my God. Friends, that is what healthy biblical self-talk sounds like, is when you hear a message from yourself that says, oh, you're unworthy, or you're miserable, your life is over, you correct yourself and say, no, that is not true, I'm a child of God, my hope is in God, and God is going to see me through this. Now that's what we call spiritual discipline, friends. When you discipline yourself according to the scripture, according to the ways of Jesus Christ. So yes, we need to listen to our hearts, but we also need to talk to our hearts. The psalm also helps us identify how we feel. Look at verse 3. Day and night I have only tears for food, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Okay, so um, in your estimation, how is the psalmist feeling? What word would you give to this? Discouraged? Say it louder. Sad? What else? 
Hopeless. Okay, now we're rolling. Angry. Defeated. Put the emotions wheel back up there, would you? Okay, uh, left side's negative, right side's positive. Which way are we going, left or right? Left, yeah, definitely the down sort of feeling. We got sad, we got scared, we got angry, we got embarrassed. Which one do you think? All of them, yeah. Uh, look under embarrassed, ashamed, excluded, guilty. Okay, all right, so put the verse back up there. Look at this, look at this again. Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where's this God of yours? Now see, the psalmist could have written down, I feel sad today, right? But instead, he's a poet, and he says, look, I'm sitting here eating a sandwich made out of my tears. That's how bad my life is. Have you ever felt that bad? Have you ever felt so bad you didn't even have an appetite for real food? The only food you had were the salty tears running down your cheeks, Right? So there's a poetic description, a wonderful, colorful language that the Psalms give to us, friends. They also remind us that uh, that misconception that if you follow Jesus, everything's always peachy and beautiful, that's just not true, is it? Just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean your life is perfect all the time. We all have hardship, just like everybody else. In fact, Jesus said, if you follow me, you will suffer. Right? He promised if you follow him, your life will in some ways be more difficult. Why? Because you're willing to take up your cross. Because you're willing to take on the suffering, and not just of your own, but of other people, the suffering of the world. So the Psalms remind us that this is a very real human experience, that part of what it means to be human is to have the ups and downs, the roller coaster of life. So this, I think, friends, is what emotional intelligence looks like. It looks like identifying our emotions, it looks like examining our emotions, and it looks like expressing our emotions. And so the psalmist has done this first one, identifying. I feel sad. I feel like I'm eating a, a tear sandwich, right? The second step is to examine our feelings. Why am I feeling this way? So we talked about the how. How am I feeling? Let's talk about the why. Why am I feeling that way? So skip over to verse 5. We're going to skip verse 4 and come back to it. Verse 5, the psalmist says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Friends, the question why is a question of self-examination. The psalmist is, again, talking to himself. Why do I feel this way? Have you noticed our lives are so busy? Have you noticed that we're always entertained by one kind of screen or another, that we rarely just stop and take time for self-reflection, for self-examination, to say, how am I feeling today, and why do I feel that way? Friends, self-examination is an incredible habit for people who are spiritually mature. When you look honestly in the mirror and you talk to the Lord and you talk to yourself about how it is with your soul, when you talk about how it is you're feeling and why you're feeling that way, you will grow in a sense of self-awareness that nothing else is going to be able to teach you. Only the Lord and only you can teach you that by taking the time to do it. And when you do it, when you ask the question why and you lay your soul bare before the Lord, the Lord in his grace like a surgeon takes his scalpel of mercy and he cuts away everything bad. He cuts away your sin and your shortcomings so that you can be healed. But see, you got to be vulnerable in order for that to happen, right? You've had surgery before? Like you got to lay on the table, don't you? You have to trust your life in the hands of the surgeon. And so in the same way, spiritually, you have to trust your life in the hands of your God who loves you. 
Look at how the psalm turns in this verse. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Ah, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I will put my hope in God. You see, you may be feeling like the world is ending, right? And that's a valid feeling, but it doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel that way doesn't mean it's true. And so that's when you go back to the promise of Scripture again and again. I will put my hope in God. Nevertheless, I may feel terrible, but I will put my hope in God. Friends, the way to deal with spiritual depression, the way to deal with this kind of sadness and loneliness and and difficulty and discouragement is to come back again and again to the promises of God, to focus on your salvation. Because when you focus on your salvation, you will not dwell on the past. You will not live with a sense of guilt all the time. To focus on your sanctification. When you focus on your sanctification, you'll remember you can change. You can become more like Jesus. To focus on your adoption as a child of God and remember that you are God's beloved child. To focus on the coming of the resurrection. To know that, yes, you don't have to be afraid of aging. You don't have to be afraid of dying because there is a resurrection and we will have eternal life with God forever and ever. Identify, examine, and finally express. We need to learn to express our feelings. Go back to verse 4 with me. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I think, friends, that's what it looks like to express our emotions is to pour out our souls. Let me suggest to you, some of us don't do that often enough. We kind of keep it all bottled in, maybe the men especially. Some of the guys, we heard messages when we were kids about men keep their feelings to themselves, right? It's good and right to share it. But with whom? With whom do you want to share it? Does everybody in the whole world need to know? Do you need to put it on social media and air your dirty laundry, put your business out there? Maybe not. Maybe not. Ask yourself, who needs to know? Okay, so for starters, you need to know. Identify, examine. Okay, but who else needs to know? Do you have a friend? Do you have a special friend who needs to know how you feel? Do you have a family member, someone in your life who you trust? You can have these private conversations with them. Call them on the phone, meet for coffee. Say, I need to tell you about how I'm doing. How about the Lord? Yeah, the Lord needs to know. The Lord needs to hear from you. Now, don't think you're informing the Lord because the Lord knows already, but you need to say it to the Lord for the sake of your soul. This is emotional intelligence, friends. Identify, examine, and express. Identify how do I feel, examine why do I feel that way, and express it. What's the best way for me to give voice to how I'm feeling and who needs to know about it? Now, This is coming to the end of the sermon, and this is the portion in the sermon where the preacher uh, has this incredible story of life change and the grace of Jesus Christ, which has totally transformed someone's life, and you're inspired, and you walk out of here, you're like, oh, that was incredible, you know, the sermon was okay, but that story at the end, I'm just going to go save the whole world, right? I don't have that story for you today. Uh, which I think is good and appropriate because here's what the psalm reminds us, that most of life is not on the mountaintop, right? Most of life is just in the valley, and most of life is ordinary and regular, and sometimes it's even boring, isn't it? Because what's life? Well, I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, and I comb my hair, and and I kiss my wife, and have some breakfast, and I go to work, or I mow the yard, or go to the grocery, go to the food line and get the groceries, and I come home, and I make dinner, and then I sit on the couch at the end of the day, whew, I'm worn out. And I go to bed, 
And I do it all over again the next day, right? I mean, that's what life is, friends. Let's be honest. Now, here's the good news. The Psalms speak to that kind of life. The Psalms acknowledge that sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down, that life is a roller coaster, but God meets us right where we are. And so I want to read to you the rest of Psalm 42 just in keeping in mind, this is just ordinary life, real life, and sometimes it's up, and, and for, in this case, the psalmist is down. He's down. He's sad. He's discouraged, um, and, and I want you to hear it, but I want you to notice the, the movement. I want you to notice the shift, especially at the end. Notice how the psalm moves in feeling, how the psalmist changes in his emotional experience from discouragement to hopefulness. Verse 6, my God. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I'll remember you. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Have you ever had a sense and experience of the grace of God that just washes over you like a wave when you're standing in the ocean? But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me, and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh, God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? You ever felt forgotten by God? You ever felt just left out of the world and of what God is doing? I have. It's a really distressing feeling. Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Nevertheless, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Do you see the movement? See how the shifts where he's down and down and down, but just right there at the very last minute, it's like, oh, yes, I'm still a child of God. 